This is Publishing Talks, a podcast about books and the publishing industry. I'm David Wilk, your host, and today I'm talking to Shovik Paul. He's currently working for a company called CopyLeaks in, I guess, what we would call digital. Well, what is the word? I don't even know. What do we call what you do, Shovik? Yeah. Hey, David. Great to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, what do we do? We're a company that has, for the past decade, been using AI to understand how humans write. And then once you can get AI to understand how humans write, you can solve a lot of different problems, right? So for example, you can see uh, if someone is plagiarizing from some, another human. But in the last few months, as I'm sure everyone knows, ChatGPT has been on everyone's mind, right? Um, and the world has really evolved because what used to be before, hey, did this human take content from another human and plagiarize, that has evolved into, I guess, the first question we're now starting to ask is, did a human even write it? Or did a computer or did AI write it? And that's what we do. We work with corporations, large and small, to help them detect it for a variety of different reasons. Everyone produces content, right? So we work with the UNs of the world where they're producing white papers, research papers. You want to check that. To, as you can imagine, in the education side, we work with thousands, literally thousands of universities, because as we know, students are early adopters with these kinds of technologies and will always try to find a shortcut if there is one to writing essay content. So that's what we do in a nutshell. You and I have talked before about copy leaks and we go back a ways, you know, because we've worked in other business areas. But when did you start with copy leaks? Yeah, so I uh, so my current role is is the COO of Copy Leaks, and and we're we're based out of New York here. I started with them about three years ago. As you said, they've been around for about ten years. What was the, you know, because there, if you look at it as sort of a, almost an early adopter, you know, they kind of figured out something early on that a lot of people discovered later as problems that could be solved with technology. And I think even before, I know I've talked to you in the past, before AI was kind of a thing, it was really just looked at as here's a technology, you know, and, and I'm kind of curious about what was the founding impetus behind copy leaks? Um, the name might suggest what that was, but I'm, you know, what, what kind of is it, it, in a short description, like what's the yeah. raison d'etre, you know, the elevator pitch for the company yeah, as yeah. it first started? Yeah, you know, for like again, the company's evolved so much, and every day it feels like new things are new challenges are popping up, which which we're adapting to. But then the 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 genesis of all of this was, uh, well, I think it really starts with the background of the founders. The founders, um, there are two of them, Jonathan and Alon. They're both Israeli. They were part of a very elite Israeli cybersecurity team of the military, and there, you know, as you can imagine, you know. They were using actually and being trained on AI and using AI to do text analysis again for military purposes, and so they were like on the forefront of this stuff, as as you can imagine, David. Like they were sort of writing this stuff before it even existed, right? For again, for for military reasons. And then, as it happens with Israeli military, you know, they very often come out of the military, they go then start different things. This particular unit, by the way, that they came out of, it's a very interesting unit because it's produced some of the largest 
like number of CEOs that we see, especially in cybersecurity and things like that, uh, some of the largest companies around the world. And they came out and they said, let's use AI to solve different problems. And so one of the problems that they saw, and it came out of, um, you know, they, one of them was helping a family business start a website and their website was being plagiarized by very quickly that website, the family website got plagiarized by somebody else. And why was that a big deal? Because in the SEO world, right, in order for you get to get a better Google ranking, for example, one of the things Google says is your content has to be original for it to rise in the rankings. So what what one of the founders quickly realized is, oh, even I don't even have control over this, but somebody took my content, sort of copy pasted it, and as a result, I'm getting penalized for our website. So how do I do this better? And 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 when he tried out a lot of the tools, what he found was that most of the tools out there, they just look for the way they were built is they were looking for exact word matches. Did you copy paste from somewhere, right? Which in this day and age, that's a very easy system to sort of like fool. You can, you can switch a few of the words around, replace it with synonyms. There's a bunch of these free text spinners out there where you literally copy paste text and they'll sort of alter it for you. But again, Google was picking it up as very similar text and that was the issue. So that copy paste, the exact word match was seemed very outdated. So they basically said, why don't we use AI to understand the meaning of the words, the meaning of the sentences, in other words, in the paragraphs. Because once you understand the meaning, even if you've changed it, you can connect the dots, right? And and that went into education. There were, again, a few players out there, prominent players, huge companies, and they started disrupting the market. And then that really grew from educational verticals, really started off as an ad tech company, and now has evolved into, again, we quickly realized that Every company, whether it's book publishers, news agencies, or I mentioned the United Nations, I mean, they're writing, think about it, they're writing content in over 100 languages all around the world. And everybody now wants to make sure from a, it's either from a brand reputational perspective that, hey, I sure hope my content has not been plagiarized um, uh, because that would be a disaster from a PR perspective, again, from a brand perspective, or you are putting all this work into creating something original and unique, but then how do you know someone else didn't just take it and alter it and pass it off as their own? So from a copyright infringement uh, perspective, we, we started working with a lot of companies. And as I said, look, that whole thing sort of has evolved just since ChatGPT, which came out back in, uh, what, Thanksgiving last year. So 2020, uh, 2022 December is when when it really hit the market. And our world changed, right? Because why do you need to plagiarize anymore? If you really think about it, right? Like plagiarism takes effort, right? And if you really think about it, let's say you have a article, you're, you're a freelance reporter or something, or I don't know, you student, and you have to write an article or an assignment and it's due tomorrow your intent really is, I don't want to do the work. Now, it could be laziness. It could be, I forgot. It could be anything. But your intent is, I don't want to do the work. Now, then you had to go find something that's out there that you liked. Then you had to alter it so that you don't get caught. That's all effort, right? That's time, effort. That's still work. But then ChatGPT comes out and says, hey, we'll write you something original. <laughs> and you have to put no effort. It's going to take you less than 10 seconds. 
like the world changed, you know, there was an easy, very easy path forward, you know, and that's the world we're living in now. And now we're, we were heavily into first detecting and answering the question of, was this written by a human or an AI? And if in fact it was written by AI, well, there's your answer. If it was written by a human, then we answer the question of, was it in fact written by this human or another human? Yeah. And of course, I'm interested in the publishing world and how mm-hmm. this affects books and other published materials. And you've sort of um, opened up some conversations there that I'm not sure that I'm sure that publishers are thinking about. You know, a lot of arguing about the value of AI or, you know, whether it will, how can it be deployed in a meaningful way? But you've kind of raised some interesting points. And that is, and of course, we've just started to see, I'm sure you've run across this already, that um, there are people writing so called writing books using AI, publishing them on Amazon and selling them. And Amazon has no mechanism for, identifying the content that they're not in the content business, even though they're a bookseller. Uh, I mean, you know, booksellers cannot be responsible for the content of the books that they sell, but because Amazon is so ubiquitous, it puts them in a very difficult position. If you create a book falsely, as some people have done, or the other thing that I think has started to happen is you'll see, um, kind of they're, they're not, completely fake books. They're uh, a book about another book. So you get to use the brand name of the famous book. You know, like, let's say I'm going to write a, a guide to Colleen Hoover. I just got to use Colleen Hoover's name in my book and my content might be completely credulous. It, it might not be of any value whatsoever, but consumers have to decide whether it's valuable or not. But what they're looking for, I think, is enough people buy it quickly before anybody figures out that it's no good or it doesn't have very much solidity to it or, or long-term value that they are able to sell. I mean, because it's free. The content didn't cost them anything. Making an ebook is nothing. Selling it on Amazon is nothing. There's no cost. So I would think that this would be, you know, that this the ability to flag false, falsely built or I don't know what, you know, I, I don't even know where I'd go with that. You know, like, it, how do you figure out whether the content is valuable or not? Uh, from a consumer perspective, there's no way to know. Well, I, I think that's, you, you point out something really critical, right? I think we're, what we're seeing now, and I think the phase we're in right now, before we even get to, is this good or bad? Is this content valuable or invaluable? Is it just a rehash of existing book that you've rehashed into something new or did they actually create did it actually put original thought into taking different books maybe 20 different books putting the ideas together and creating something new which may be very valuable who knows right that's what a lot of people do in humans do i think before we get there i think you bring up a really good point david which is i think we're in the stage of first identifying to users readers whoever out there whether something was written by a human or AI, I think that's step number one, right? And that's the phase we're in. Because if you know that this book was written by AI, then you can, it's your choice to take the next step and read it, right? Or take it with a huge grain of salt and say, okay, I get the writing. Maybe there is value in there. I don't know. Maybe because AI has a lot of, there's a lot of good in AI, by the way. 
right? So AI can do research at a capacity that no human can ever do. I was talking to a doctor the other day, and he was basically telling me, look, as a doctor, I try to keep up with research, but AI can just keep up with it faster than any and every new article that I'm not reading every new article that's coming out every day. I'm not reading every new scientific, you know, journal. It's impossible, but AI can. So even this doctor's like, I've started to use AI to actually input like patient information. And then it uses that collection of knowledge from all these different sources to give me some advice. So there's a lot of good in there. So translate that to an author that would be I'm writing a book on, I don't know, um, U.S. history. I mean, how many books could I have read in my lifetime? AI can read way more. I can use it in a very meaningful way as a research tool, for example, right? And as a matter of fact, what we see a lot of these days is most publishers, most news organizations that have, I'm talking about print news, um, they have policies in place which basically say, hey, look, like, you can use this. You can use LLMs, large language models like ChatGPT and BARD. However, you cannot take the final output and pass it off as your own. Like that is a no-go, but definitely use it. And that that's another thing, right? Like, look, you know, I always try to remind people, this is, we've seen a lot of knee-jerk reactions in the last couple of months. Again, this comes out last November. Since last November, people are just like, what do we do? Right. Companies like Samsung have outright said ChatGPT is banned. There are school districts like the New York uh, City School School System basically said students are banned from using ChatGPT. To which I say, how in the world do you do that? <laughs> like, like I, I have ChatGPT on my phone. What do you mean? That's like saying let's ban the calculator or something. Like, how do you do that? Right. And again, it seems like a very knee jerk reaction to me that, you know, I, and I get it. It's scary. Right. I think it's more that not just so much that it's scary. It's that because we don't know how it works or what to do with it, one reaction is to say, well, let's just put a pause on it, not use it until we can figure it out. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it, it just felt like, you know, that I can understand the, the reaction being, well, let's wait and, you know, let's figure this out before we just jump into the pool for a bigger entity. That makes sense. For smaller companies, you know, it may be a different story. You know, you might feel like you can jump right in. Yeah. I mean, the question also is how do you enforce that, right? Like, again, you can say I'm banning it in the company, I'm banning it in the school. Like, it's, you can ban it on a company computer, a school computer. How are you going to ban that on a phone? Like, so I I think, by the way, I, I, I think we are living through which, and, and I, I'll give you some data to support what I'm about to say. I think we have never seen a moment like this in the history of the internet. All right. And, and I'll tell you why. We have never seen an adoption rate like we have with ChatGPT in the history of the internet. So on the web, we, there's a metric that's used to, to gauge success of any kind of technology or brand. And that, that measurement is how quickly did you gain a million unique users? And how quickly did you gain a hundred million unique users? All right. Now, just to put this into perspective, David, it took Instagram 18 months to gain a hundred million users. Okay. 18 months. That's Instagram, right? Think about how popular that is. But then TikTok comes out and we know every, it's all about TikTok these days, right? 
It took TikTok eight months to gain 100 million users. Guess what? ChatGPT comes out in one month. In one month, it gains 100 million users. We have never seen anything being adopted this way. Now, why, why is that so interesting and relevant, especially in this case? With AI, the way AI works, the initial data set is valuable, but it's not that valuable. Other people can get that, that, that data set. It's the retraining of it that makes it really valuable. You, and for that, you need humans to retrain it. Now, the advantage of gaining 100 million users a month, like let's say it's been six months, they have half a billion users at this point, right? There's a half a billion people that's helping this AI understand what the right answer is. Oh, it starts with a broader question. Then it's like, oh, no, actually modify it, tweak it, this, this, this. Right. I think when we first talked, you told me about this. And this is where my, this kind of opened my mind to the real kind of scope of AI or the meaningfulness of this. And that is that the user base is training the AI so that it's getting more and more knowledgeable at a rapid, a hugely rapid rate. And you pointed out something that I thought was really important that I think that people are not thinking about. And you mentioned this, that um, people are using it in business, um, uploading proprietary data into, they're going to, they think that it's private, they're going to do their research, you know, putting (laughs) data that's proprietary and making a report that they're going to share with, let's say, their boss or with the board or somebody like that, not realizing that their proprietary data is now part of the data set of the AI. And so, um, and I think, you know, I think for publishers or anybody who's involved with original um, material, that's important to realize is that if the people that are working in your enterprise or the people that you're engaged with, let's say their authors, are using ChatGPT or another one of the LLMs, they're feeding data into it. You know, when you do that research, right? You're that's right. That, that's right. It's not magic, right? It's not magic. You, you need to give it relevant data for it to put something intelligent and smart out. And, and, and look, in the publishing world, there's some interesting things, again, you know, you talk about right, like the the dangers that we're seeing, and this is this is this is again, we, we're working with very very large corporations who are concerned about exactly what you're talking about, and we're helping them with the governance of it. Like, okay, great, you put a policy out. By the way, every company, if you haven't done so already, large, small, doesn't matter. As a publisher, you should have some policy in place that you just like you make your employees sign something about NDAs and this, that you should have something now that basically says whatever your policy is on the usage of things like ChatGPT and Barb. Again, we've seen a spectrum of you're not allowed to use it to you're allowed to use it, but just for research or whatever, right? So have some policy in place. We are also now helping companies like, great, you have a policy. How do you make sure people are, you know, sticking with those rules, right? And so we're helping them with the governance, but coming back to, 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 the actual publishing world, David, I think what's really interesting is, and I've been really playing around with these models to, to, to understand like what is capable, like what's possible. So one of the things that's really interesting is sort of coming back to this notion of you have to feed it something to give it for it to give you back something intelligent and meaningful. You can actually give it. So you can say, look, these are my five, the last five books I wrote, or these are the last five articles I wrote in a journal. And 
again, it's AI. So the more you give it, the more it can learn. So you can give it those last five, 10, 15 articles or two books you wrote. It can ingest it and learn your style, like how your voice essentially in writing. And then you can say, now take this book from Grisham and take this other book. Now create a new book, right? Using my voice. And that is where it starts getting really crazy, right? Because, mm-hmm. right. So let me, th- let me just ask you about that because let's supposing I feed in, well, th- yeah, I guess this is sort of where you go with that. I, I give the AI my book, let's say mm-hmm. now, and let's say I've written five books I, and I upload all five books and I say, learn my style. But isn't it true then that in ChatGPT's database, those five books are available to everyone? Well, yeah, look, um, number one, yes, theoretically, once you upload things, it's, it's, look, it's, it's hard. The, the, the real answer is, yeah, yeah, it's part, they're using it to, to retrain their models to learn, because that's what everything, by the way, this is not new. You know, when Gmail came out? right? And we all signed up for Gmail back in the day, right? I don't even know how long ago that was, probably in the 90s, right, David? And so it was free. You know why it was free? Because it was using our data to train its model. This is not a new thing, right? Um, Google, by the way, is sitting on an insane amount of data right now. It knows how we shop and write emails and everything. And Bard is, Bard is I, I, I truly believe Bard's going to be be a real player in the market. It's sort of taken a side to to ChatGPT, but I really do think the data set is amazing. But anyway, I think that the here, here's if you look at ChatGPT's terms of service, what it basically says is there is a way that you can say I don't want you to store my data. I don't I don't want you to store the data. However, the they will regardless store your data for 30 days. Now, if you don't turn it off, they'll just store your data. And they, by the way, their terms of service, I don't know if they'll ever do it or if they're doing it. They say they have the right to share that data with third party. Um, again, I don't, I'm not saying they are doing that or they're not, but that's what their terms of service say. The other thing it says is even if you allow it to not be up, like stored, they actually do store it for, for 30 days, which, and, and it's all a moot point because most employees, so let's say you work for a big book publisher, most employees authors, whoever they sign, there's an embargo on this stuff, right? From being leaked. You sign something that basically says, this is proprietary content. It's proprietary information. It's like having a briefcase. You're, you're, in, the, you're in the office. You're not allowed to leave the office with the suitcases or a briefcase. You know, The second you go to ChatGPT and you upload anything, you've left the office with a briefcase. You're in violation of that, whatever you signed, in other words. So it's a moot point what they do with it point is the second you went and uploaded there you broke a rule you know but but to me like the question really is david like what is the future with all of this stuff right like okay we understand there's there's some scary things about it as an ai guy i gotta tell you like i'm a big fan of ai i i I want more people to use it i want it to be used for good and again what we're trying to do now with at copy leaks is you know not say to those companies that have that knee-jerk reaction, hey, shut it all down, saying, look, you can't really shut this all down. Like the future is already here. This is here to stay. It's not going away. You, what you're scared of is people using it irresponsibly. So let's find a way to for responsible 
usage of AI. So, so, so that's what we're working towards. But let's think about the future, right? Like, so let me ask you, like, what do you, what, when I say AI and publishing, like, where do you think this can be used? And what do you think some problems are there? Well, I think what you alluded to earlier is the obvious one, and that's the research. Uh, because I think that everyone is involved with needing more information. I mean, whether you're an author, maybe not if you're writing a novel, maybe you need information for it, maybe you don't. But not most nonfiction books uh, are based on information. The more information you have, the more you can synthesize it, the better. And if you have, uh, and I, if you're working in marketing, if, if you're in publishing or any any other business, research is really important. And we don't have time. There's too much information. So if AI can assist us in uh, synthesizing more information, that's a huge value. I do think that there's a impulse to see if you can use AI in a creative way as well. I think that it's still unclear. And I think there's a lot of doubt or misgivings. You know, people question whether uh, a you know, the AI learning can, because it's based on repetitive information, not creative information, or not the ability to create anything that is other than what it already knows, um, whether there is another leap there into creativity. But at this stage, I think for most of us, we think that it's the, it's the value, the usefulness of it rather than the um, creativeness of it that is uh, attractive to publishers. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I think the research is probably number one. The creative stuff is interesting. You know, I have a coworker who uh, he has a daughter, a young daughter, and he reads her a story every night. And what he started doing is she would always say, "Daddy, tell me a story." And now what he's doing is he took that original story that he told her. And he just every night on his phone on ChatGPT gets ChatGPT to sort of like reiterate, not reiterate, like, but like find, find a, a, a continuation of that story. So, hey, today we're in the jungle. These same, these were the characters. This is what happened. Now, today they went to the market and it writes the story and he's now reading her a bedtime story that's using these characters that they both came up together. And it is creative. It's coming up with some creative things there. Uh, again, I, it's not something I, 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 I don't think it's ready for like, uh, to be published, <laughs> right? But, but it's good enough. It's, it's, it's getting there where this guy is using it and reading this actual story off his phone to his kid that was written by ChatGPT, which is interesting. You know, like that's something we wouldn't have been able to do even six months ago. Um, but it's getting there. I, th I think, you know, like the, the one thing I'll tell you, David, that I've been thinking a lot about recently, um, and, and this isn't a original thought to me. I think a lot of people in AI get asked this question, like, what are you worried about? Um, and, you know, honestly, if you'd asked me this question, people who did used to ask me, I've been in AI for a long time, you would ask me, oh, like, are you afraid of AI taking over the world and this kind of like the Terminator doomsday kind of stuff? And I would always say, no way, like, not in my, like, could it happen? Theoretically, absolutely, it can theoretically, but not in my lifetime. I'll tell you, my answer to that now has sort of somewhat changed in the last year. Now, I don't know if a 
Terminator type thing is, is, is what we're looking at. But I do think for the first time that AI is learning and training again at a faster rate than ever before, which is being helped. We, we as humans are helping it do that. Uh, and, and that's the thing. It's happening at a faster rate. And at some point, it's going to be able to create original thought, which it's not able to do truly yet, you know, but, but it, it's looking more and more likely and in a much more shorter time frame than what I'd anticipated like or what I've told you a year ago. Now, that's definitely a concern. I'll tell you this other concern that I think I'm, I'm talking about definitely a lot and some other folks are as well, which is AI, the chat GPTs of the world, what they're doing is they are using content that's written by humans that that's out there and learning from it, right? And then having humans corrected and retrained from that, right? So it's all human written content. But since ChatGPT and Bard came out, so let's just put that marker on for December 1st. Since December 1st of 2022 till today, we have a lot of original content being written by the ChatGPTs of the world that are being put out. Now, there's more content than ever before being, because it can write more than any human can, right? So it's all being put out. You mentioned, right, David, there are about 50 new websites, by the way, forget Amazon, there's 50 new book publishing websites. I think 49 or 50 is, is, is an article I read about new publishers that have popped up that are just ebooks that were written by AI, right? Um, this is all flooding the market. But the other side of that is, this is now the data set that's out there, right? So at some point, now, this is really interesting. I was, I was reading this stuff about like mad cow disease. And if you look at mad cow disease or even swine, swine flu, right? Mad cow disease, a big reason for why, why it was caused was because in the processed food that they were feeding the cows was cow, was beef. So you start eating your own, you go crazy. Same thing happened with pigs and swine flu, by the way, right? And now there's a lot of talk in our world, in the AI world, about is there a breaking point where AI, there's so much content being written by AI that it's it's writing it's it's writing it itself, then it's learning from the like it's crap in, crap out. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Right. Right. And, and it's learning. Right. right. And does that like it does does it go mad when it like does it have mad cow disease or mad AI disease or whatever you want to call it? Right. Point? No, that's an imaginable it's an imaginable outcome. It's that kind of um a a a recursive, an unending recursiveness that where mm-hmm. it's almost like you're you you go crazy because you're talking to yourself. You don't hear outside of your internal voice. And so yeah, you could um it is almost a little bit of a science fiction um scenario where you imagine the machine losing its mind because it only can echo itself. Um, and that, that that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think also that there is a risk that AI, uh, that the LLM AI um, loses some of its value by repetitively uh, ingesting its own output even if it doesn't lead to craziness in the sense that you're talking, it could, it could limit the value. It could say, you're not going to learn anymore because you're, you're going to start repeating yourself. You're going to become, um, uh, you're going to cease learning anew. You're only going to learn what you already know. And you're going to think that reality, if you're, if you, you know, sort of think that of the AI as a, uh, as a, um, 
a system. The system is going to believe that its reality is getting better, but it isn't. Well, yeah, and I'll tell you another problem to compound onto that, right? So you're talking about a lot of that stuff being put out by AI, and it's doing it in higher volume. Now, AI, the way it works is, again, it doesn't know what's good, what's true or not. It doesn't know what's good or not. It's just taking a lot of content that out that's out there. So, so let's take something where it's like, listen, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there uh, saying, hey, this X doesn't work. It's, it's, and, and it's false that they're saying that. Okay, let's take something like, I don't know, this medicine is, is a scam. It doesn't work. In fact, scientifically, it's proven that it does work, right? But it's just looking at how much, like it's a popularity contest, essentially, right? So it's saying, oh, there's a lot of content there. Let's take that and produce that into my writing that I'm going to output. And it, that just makes it a reality. I don't know if you saw, but there was a, there was a case that came up last month where a lawyer Use Chat GPT to to create. Oh yeah, his and, and it made up cases. Yeah, it made up case cases that made up stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was all nonsense, right? Yes. And, and and then he almost got disbarred. I mean, he got a citation in court by the judge. <laughs> you know, but 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 think about that. Let's let's take something like that where it's taking bad data, whether it's fake or bad, pushing it through. Then it's it's writing it a million times over because it can. At a faster rate, at some point, that's what floods the market, right? And that just becomes the truth, right? And 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 that's a scary future. I'll tell you another thing I'm really concerned about, David. Um, I am concerned, like what really concerns me. And, and again, we work with a lot of students. I also have two daughters, one in middle school and one in high school. And my problem with all of this is that it's turning, it, it's taking away like I could see a future essentially where critical thinking and original thought goes away. It's because the starting point here is you're an editor. You're not coming up with the content. You're not putting any thought. You're just taking your starting point as, Oh, Hey, write me an article about um, the diary of Anne Frank. Cause I have a school report to do on it. Right. Uh, by the way, uh, I'm, that's a real example. I went to chat because my daughter wrote, a, 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 a essentially like a book report and I wanted to see what chat I was doing it in parallel with her right so she writes this thing it's three pages long she's in uh, seventh grade okay I go to chat GPT I say write me a three page art, uh, book report on the diary of Anne Frank and it writes it then I say actually write this as a seventh grader girl living in New York City it rewrites it right then I'm like actually focus in on, you know, like I refined it and got it to a point where my report was actually, which took me less than five minutes, was way better. And and it's very possible and believable that my daughter actually wrote it, but it was like way better, right? Um, I, I, I think that there's like, the problem with all of this is if someone's doing that, they are not thinking anymore. There's a future where we just forget to have that critical thinking. And that is a little scary for me. Um, you know, as, 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 as I hope there's, I don't know what the solution for that is, by the way, you know, um, but it is something that really concerns me. Yeah. I think that is, I think that is something that a lot of people thinking about this feel. It's the idea that everything is, I don't want to say cheapened per se, but it is a kind of, uh, lowered to the lowest common denominator of thought because people are not using their Minds. On the other hand, if you do choose to be an original thinker, you may stand out from the crowd. And that 
that may um, uh, cause a kind of reverse uh, reversal at some point where people realize that if all they do is use chat GPI or another or GPT or another uh, uh, AI, they're going to end up with uh, average content that will get them nowhere better than average. Um, and maybe uh, that will maybe that will be questioned by people who are doing the the consuming. David, like, I think you're absolutely right. I think original content, you know, it, it, it's like if every music gets produced by a machine and some digital music, at some point it loses its value. People are like, oh, this is created by a machine. I want to hear a real, like, musician, right? I think we're going to get there with any kind of content, whether it's an article or a book in the future. I think original content is going to be very, very valuable. People are going to want to seek it. I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more people identifying whether again this was hey this is written bot written or you know human written and 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 we're going to make some decisions again look if i'm getting a score for if i just want the latest score for my for my you know for a baseball game do i really care if a human wrote that no right i don't Uh, whatever give me the latest news give it to me quick i don't care right but if i'm reading a, a a new york times article right it better be written by human. I'm expecting, I'm paying for it. I'm expecting it to be human written. You know what I mean? Right. No, I think that you could have differentiation of value, differentiation of quality. Uh, there also, I, I envision the potential for a backlash where similar to the arts and craft movement of the early, uh, late 19th century, there was a craft movement in opposition to the industrial revolution. Now it didn't, change the for didn't change the flow of history where the the industrial revolution still kept going but it was informed by ideas of value and beauty and human creation that reminded the industrial that human values are still important uh, so i think we're about running out of time and what it occurs to me is that this is a very rich area for us to talk about and since it's changing so quickly i think what we should do is plan six months from now let's revisit and see what has changed because i'm guessing that the rate of change is so fast and so great that we will have some interesting things to talk about you know maybe on the one year anniversary of the launch of chat gpd that would be really fun I'd love to be back, David. Thanks again for having me and for all your listeners. Look, um, you know, there's a lot of good and bad in everything. Uh, let's find ways to use this in a productive way. I think the future involves AI. If you haven't played around with ChatGPT, I'd encourage you to go play with it. Also, if you want to detect it, go to CopyLeaks. Uh, we have a CopyLeaks.com, C-O-P-Y-L-E-A-K-S.com. We have a free browser plugin. It plugs right into your Chrome. You can download it. You can literally highlight any text that you're seeing, whether it's a book, article, anything you're seeing on your screen, and it'll tell you if it was written by a human or AI with 99% accuracy. That is way cool. That is totally cool. Thank you for bringing that up and telling us about that. That is great. Well, thank you, Shovik Paul, for being on Publishing Talks. I really appreciate it. This has been Publishing Talks podcast about books in the publishing industry. I'm David Wilk. I've been talking to Shovik Paul, the COO of CopyLeaks. Thanks so much.